Welcome to the Clash Magazine podcast. In our second episode, we continue our chat with Sir Paul McCartney. More so in the Beatle years, um, you were never, people never really dissected your lyrics. It was always people seemed to say, oh, John was the wordsmith. And in the later years, um, when he went through the primal scream sort of writing, he was more honest and people never really saw you as being this honest songwriter. You were more about melodies and stories mm-hmm. and stuff. This album sounds uh, quite honest. It seems to be quite... Um, being a soul almost, um, would you say that this, this is like the real you? Yeah, probably, you know, that's a, that's a process that you're not necessarily aware of yourself, because you just live in life, mm. and I know with John and me, we never used to class ourselves as, he's that one, mm. I'm that one, that's just a perception grew up, and I think to some degree it's true, you know, because John was, his personality was John. My personality was Paul. So, and we're quite different, and that's actually why we're so good together. Yeah. And complimented each other. But, um, yeah, you know, I, I think this new album is honest. Um, but, you know, what I'm trying to say is, I didn't mean to be dishonest in any of the others. It's just, a, I don't know, maybe it's just, it's just come out this way this time. Yeah. But it's just, I suppose, you know, writing a song about death as the one called it, End of the End, which is just about, you know, on the day that I die, I'd like jokes to be told, whatever. Um, well, that's pretty honest. It just happened that the subjects I chose were like that, whereas in other times I might be choosing a subject like um, when I'm 64 or something, which is much more tongue-in-the-cheek. Still, uh, it's not quite a... It's quite, I mean, obviously I hear that song quite a bit, this year <laughs> but um, it's not a bad little song you know but it's just it's a, it's a genre yes. that I fell into because of my personality but it, I'm, I'm kind of you know I'm glad I did so, yeah but to answer your question I think yeah probably this one uh, is more honest mm-hmm. not I didn't mean it to be just panned out that way um, listen to vintage clothes the kind of the beat on that it sounded like kind of tape loops and stuff um, made me think about it. in the Beatles days the experiment you were doing and the things you were doing with like, the cutting edge technology yeah. that's more the equivalent nowadays is more kind of dance music because they're using technology whereas you know people that are claimed to be heir to the Beatles for instance mm-hmm. Oasis are doing exactly the same thing yeah. um, what's your opinion on the, the kind of experiment within dance music in terms of technology? yeah you're right that's where it happens because uh, um, it's like it's almost it's like an obvious platform for it in dance music because you've got a, a trance thing that's going to go on for ten minutes mm. so you better experiment yeah somewhere or it's going to be awfully boring <laughs> you know whereas if you're looking at shorter songs um, then it's actually not as easy to, to just break the song and come in with something. But um, I think it's probably true that it happens more in, in dance music. But I've always been interested in that. I always loved that Tomorrow Never Knows, the tape, tape loops on the Beatles track, Tomorrow Never Knows. That was like, yes, you know, it's just the same thing I'm trying to do now, though, you know, which is just do something to interest and excite myself. Very selfish, really. But why not? I mean, why else do you write music and write songs? Yeah. It's not really for any other reason than, like, turn yourself on, you know. Um, so, 
Yeah, so on this album, there's a few more bits like that, just because I wanted to... I think the bit you're talking about, it's a Mellotron thing. And I've still got an old Mellotron. It's one of the... I think it's the original one, I think. Um, But it's a great sound. And so you can... It's not actually a loop, but it sounds like a loop. So you can get that kind of experimental sound. And uh, there's some backward stuff, you know, because some of it's revisiting that thing. Just because I haven't done that for a little while. Um, well, so going back to the, the experimenting a little bit. Yeah. Um, for all the experimenting he did within the Beatles, it never ended up sounding like self-indulgent. No. You know, which is often the risk when, when you are sort of trying yeah, to things. Uh, how did you kind of achieve that? Was it down to your kind of pop sense? We were just very good. We were just really good. <laughs> we were just really, really cool people. Um... No, we, I don't know, you know, we just got it right. We followed uh, our noses, and um, if it didn't sound good, we would blow it out mm. and just say, uh, well, that's rubbish. A good thing about being in a band with four like-minded people is there's always someone to say, I don't like that, if it was just slightly not making it, you know. Yeah. Um, whereas yourself, you might think, well, it only slightly not makes it, we, I can still do it. Um, there would always be someone with us who goes, oh, it's crap. So, um, so generally, whatever stuff we do would go beyond self-indulgent and, and would just, it would have to work. And also we had George Martin, remember? Yeah. It's the kind of final arbiter. We, we were like the boss. We were like the four-headed boss. But then George was the producer and he would sort of, it had to pass his test as well. So we had five pretty good heads yeah. on anything we did. So, for instance, uh, I brought in a bag, a little shopping bag with tape loops in it for Tomorrow Never Knows that I used to do at home. I had a, a, I had a little setup at home where I made tape loops and uh, just brought them all in. And then we laid them on various machines and fed them all in. And did the solo and I'm sure along the way there'd be one or two tapes we'd go take that one out yeah. so I think that's what happened there was a good edit- editing process yeah. that allowed it not not to get too self-indulgent it was only the good stuff that made it to the final cut uh, in anthology Ringo said that during Sgt. Pepper he, he learned to play chess because it was a, a lot of weight around yeah. do you think um, that's because he would, couldn't or wouldn't keep up you guys maybe in the studio or did you tend to excuse him from I'm, I'm not sure why it was but I was a bit on fire during the Sergeant Pepper time I was living in London and I was like going to everything you know you talk about going to clubs you can't get out well obviously we were, we were in a way more famous more hot then but I would just go to everything I'd go yeah. to experimental stuff avant-garde stuff and all this sort of stuff so I was like very um energetic so when it came to doing this album I would be talking it to all my mates and I think then the guys would come in from suburbia and I'd be going yeah yeah I'd be be speeding away and so I can see if I'd have been been on the other foot and Ringo had been buzzing away I might have gone okay yeah well what do you want me to do man you know what do you want me to drum yeah okay I'll do that then I think they just they weren't uh, Ringo wasn't as involved in the process. I think it was only just a physical thing. Yeah. It wasn't for any other reason. 
other than um, he wasn't going to all these things. I was going to seeing Cornelius Cardew down at the University of London and uh, going to the Wigmore Hall to see Luciano Berrio and uh, picking up uh, you know, uh, Stockhausen records and getting all strange books, Flann O'Brien and just a load of stuff. But being turned on by some of my mates who were just in the kind of avant-garde crowd. There was a guy called Barry Miles who later wrote a biography who had a uh, whose flat was like filled with books and records and stuff and every time I go over see him he's like yeah this I'll turn you on you know so I was getting a lot of that I'm getting a lot of stimulus so I suppose I would be a bit on fire and it would then look to Ringo like well alright <laughs> you can do it then you know yeah you go on and uh, I I mean I don't know because I, I was just doing my thing yeah. but I think that's probably what it was Everything was a bit like that. And George had said that his heart was in India. He wasn't really enjoying that. John didn't get the sort of constant contribute to the concert attack of Bad Boy. To that end, do you think that that album was primarily yours? It was like baby kind of thing. Well, I don't know. You know, I kind of started off with the concept thing. We never call it concept, by the way. That's like yeah. it's like we never call it Mercy Beat. These are just words. It's a concept album. You go, oh, is it? No, it was just actually. It was, it was an idea, and I suppose you could say, I mean, it's kind of similar to this new album, Memory Almost Full, is like, it's me trying to turn myself on most of the time, which I think if you look at any band, any musician, any artist, it's sort of often what they're trying to do in a way, trying to reach people with their ideas, but in doing so, they're trying to make it alive for them. So... Um, the whole thing of a concept thing, um, I just happen to have this idea that what we should do is just pretend to be someone of the band. It was kind of as simple as that. So in doing that, I thought, okay, well, like, a, a bit like a Mike Lee play, well, you know, do you know Mike Lee, the director? Yeah, yeah. He's uh, Abigail's party and things like that. He sits down with his actors and just says, right, what's your name then as a character? And you go, Peter Jenkins. Um, Simon Hall that's better and you just work it through till you develop who you are he says right you're a guy called Simon Hall what do you do oh, insurance broker no you sell vintage clothes yeah okay and whatever and you suddenly you become this person so you just make it up so uh, similar way we had uh, the idea well I had the idea for Sergeant Pepper and then just sold it to the guys and said what if we all do this thing and they all said, yeah, okay, it was quite interesting, you know. And I think to analyse it and to sort of break it down, who did what, it's really a little bit of a sort of red herring. You know, we all were making this album and it was a crazy idea and we were all, it was a summer yeah. and we all wanted to do it. And the media, uh, the newspapers were all saying they dried up, the Beatles had dried up, they're finished. We were all sitting like seven dwarfs tinkering, the four dwarfs tinkering away in the diamond mine going, <laughs> we haven't finished, you know. We knew what was coming, you know. And then it broke, bang, midsummer in London, like a day like today, you know. Yeah. Just, man, it just went on fire. Jimi Hendrix opened, we, we released on the Friday, Jimmy opened with Sergeant Purpose, opening song on the Sunday. And he'd learned it. Jimi Hendrix had learned it. Come on, man. Give it up. Not bad. So, you know, that was the thing. So, it was my idea. 
but we all executed it uh, and we're all very much a part of it finally then obviously the Beatles are the benchmark of innovation you know your pioneers and the studio stretched the limits do you think you've ruined it for other bands to sort of push the boundaries? do you think you've kind of set well you know not really <laughs> I mean you know you do what you do you know and uh, but I, I know years later it, it, it actually wasn't so much now I don't think people are fussed now but there was a period um, maybe like end of the 70s into the beginning of the 80s where people said well what can you do you've done it all there's nowhere left to go mm. and you go uh, but there is now there is there's always somewhere left to go yeah. um, you know as you say you've got the people who give homage air to the Beatles bands and you've got people who throw that over and who've got a different thing going um, so I don't think we've like queered the pitch for anyone you know wanting to do something new it's just they've got to find it that's all yeah. we found it now they've got to find it and hey, with my new album I've got to find it too so you know it's the same deal for everyone but that's the fun that's the excitement you've got to find it you can't just sit around waiting for it to come to you you know if you're a, a player you've got to find something that's like that's cool Clash Magazine is available online at www.clashmagazine.com as well as from retail outlets Borders, WH Smiths, HMV, Virgin and all good news agents. The September and October issue of Clash Magazine is out now with exclusive interviews with bands such as Foo Fighters, Underworld, Blondie, The Coral, The Hives, Mood Selector, Ricardo Villalobos, Cajun Dance Party and Crate Rock Legends Can, as well as a roundup of all the best film, fashion and reviews from our own unique roster of columnists. 